Hello, welcome to the Quarter to Three Games podcast. I am Tom Chick. I am here with Stefan Janicki, uh, and we are going to talk about Dragon Age. If I was more technically adept, I would have opened with the soundtrack to The Lord of the Rings, simply because uh, that's sort of where I that's sort of where where I go when I think of like why I liked Dragon Age is it was this sort of smart, sophisticated fantasy world. And plus, Stefan, you were kind of instrumental in, I think, helping me get into Lord of the Rings. Like, I think of you, you're sort of my Obi-Wan when it comes to my appreciation for uh, for all things Hobbit. Um, so, if, if I, I really inspired you, you could hum a little of the Lord of the Rings scene. Uh, you know, I, here's the thing. I confuse it, when I think of it in my head, I confuse it with the Jurassic Park theme. So I'm liable to just accidentally start humming Jurassic Park. Uh, so sorry. Uh, it's da 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 da. So there, that was Lord of the Rings, right? <laughs> there should be more dinosaurs in fantasy games. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, real quick, I want to lay some ground rules. Uh, uh, Dragon Age has been out for about a week, so those of you listening have had time to play it. Uh, we don't want to spoil it for you, but we are going to be talking from the perspective. We're going to be assuming that you've gone through the basic first act stuff and that you know the second act opens up into various quests and you can choose um, the order in which you take them. So we're going to be talking a little bit about some of those, but not too much specifics. Uh, So we won't spoil it if you're only partway through act two, but we are going to assume that you have gotten into act two. Uh, And and just to be clear, there are no formal acts in the game. So if you haven't seen Act 2 pop up... <laughs> yeah, there is no title card. <laughs> don't be worried. Uh, but now, isn't this sort of a typical uh, Bioware structure, though? This sort of like linear Act 1, like prologue, and then the bit with the Darkspawn battle. Then the Act 2 opens out wide, and then there's Act 3. It's sort of like a, a snake that's eaten a, a big old fat cow. Uh, it starts narrow, it gets wide, and then it gets narrow again. It's sort of a Bioware convention, wouldn't you say? Yeah, definitely. And uh, they, they're they always somewhat linear. I mean, even even the part where they open out and you have a few options, you know, it's not as if you're overwhelmed with um, where to go and what to do, unlike some you know, pure open-ended sandbox games. They tend to be very story-driven experiences. Well, that was that, that was something that, uh, reading your review, I realized that I didn't realize. <laughs> Namely, that uh, the the game is pretty linear. You you pointed out that uh, you know there there are huge forks in the road, but once you've decided on a fork, it's not an open world game, and and in a lot of instances, you're just going down a straight path to the the conclusion. Where, where you have another fork in the road. But it, it really did trick me into feeling like it was kind of an open-world game. Uh, yeah, it does a good job at that. It, even on a, in a smaller sense, where you know, each individual dialogue, you often have you know, a, a wide variety of, of choices, far more than even in a typical Bioware game. And while many of those choices will lead you to the same place, maybe insert a, a step or two before you get there, the fact that the depth is, even in, even though it's illusory, it's it still adds something because it just feels like a more natural experience where you're doing what you think you want to do at the time. Right, right. Uh, and and the, now I, I had a situation with a lot of the dialogues, and I think this is a this is just a a byproduct of dialogue trees. 
where it seems like there, there's no difference between choosing response B and response C. Like A is the good one, B and C, you're sort of can't really, they're, they're, they seem to be minor variations in vocabulary, and then D is dramatically different. Uh, do you think, and you actually might be privy to this, they can't have every dialogue option. Like some of those are just dead ends. They're just like flavor text. Isn't that the case? That, that's certainly the case. Some are flavor. Some are to you know allow you to feel like you're role playing that character and deciding, you know, having a bit of a personality in the way you choose your answers, even if they end up at the same place. Right. But there are legitimate um, variations, and certainly far more than in any prior Bioware game. Well, and one of the things that I like about that is it it, it makes it where every for the forks in the road and the meaningful choices aren't necessarily illuminated in with a bright neon sign or anything. It's not always clear. Like like there's enough granularity in the choices that you don't feel like you're just on rails until you then pick A or B. You feel like you're constantly making little choices, and amongst those little choices, uh, big things can happen. Uh, they, they can sort right. of stealth them in there. Uh-huh. Yeah, I mean, to, to compare to another recent game that you know has some things in common, the European game, The Witcher, it, it also had, you know, very, I thought, very good dialogue, well-written dialogue, at least in the enhanced version, and uh, and a lot, a lot of choices. But the big choices were really, you know, there were postcards, you know, telling you, now you must choose, almost <laughs> like a choose-your-own-adventure book. And, uh, and they literally were resolved subsequently by saying, because you chose this, you know, you now have to fight the bandits. Anyway, uh, Bioware's ex- experience in Dragon Age is a lot more subtle, and uh, and I think to its benefit. Yeah. yeah. Now, uh, so so you, you you reviewed it. You, did you play through it actually like through it all the way twice, or uh, like we've both finished the game at least once? I know you've logged a lot of time with it, uh, and you even at one point, if I'm not mistaken, you posted that there was only one quest that you couldn't figure out. Uh, so so I presume you you've sort of given it a thorough scouring, if I'm not mistaken. Like, right. so would you I mean, say... Go ahead. Well, I mean, it, yeah, no, no, go ahead. <laughs> so I was just going to say, would, would you say that you've done every single quest? Because I, I, I have to confess, uh, and I think this is to Bioware's credit, I got to the point where I didn't care about the side quests or leveling up. I wanted to... I wanted some resolution for the story. I wanted to know what was going to happen next. Um, I almost... In, in a game like Grand Theft Auto, I'm happy to just sort of mess around in the city and shoot pigeons. But here, I, I really cared about, you know what, I want to I make these big decisions about how to fight the Darkspawn and see what's going to happen. Uh, so I didn't spend a lot of time doing some of these side quests. For instance, you mentioned the one in the Mage's Tower where you deal with the summoning circles. Um, the one that I, I fiddled with a little bit and never resolved, there's an elven altar. Uh, where, where you can do some ancient elven ritual. And I, I was playing an elf, and I really wanted to know what happened there, but I got more caught up in the storyline. So I didn't do a lot of the, the side quests, and I blame Bioware for that. Uh, <laughs> that elven ritual one takes all of about one minute, so you, you kind of denied yourself something needlessly. Well, real quick, <laughs> I, I couldn't figure out where the altar was. And I, people have since posted where the altar was, but I found the pool, I had the jug... Uh, I even spent, you know, like 15 minutes or whatever going through 
the ruins after I'd cleared them out, and I couldn't figure out where the altar was. So part of me was thinking, oh, this is something that I'll find later on, or I, I just didn't pay enough attention to it. What did I miss, by the way? What do you get if you do that? Uh, the, the altar is one inch away from the pool. Oh, good Lord. <laughs> so it's, in the, it's in the exact same room, and it's, it's literally one inch away. Does it not have sparkly bits on it? <laughs> it, it does. I mean, it, come, it, it, it it's highlighted if you, uh, you press a tab key or, or the the secret red button or whatever the console is. Yeah, we'll talk about that in a second because I want to get into some of that with you. But what what did I miss by not doing the Elven Ritual? Um, I can't recall. It, oh, it, oh, it opened... Uh, oh, actually, I do recall. It opened the door that's in the same room as the pool and the the altar that you missed. And, uh, and that is... Um, it's an Elven graveyard and, and there's some undead in there and the final piece of the juggernaut armor. Oh, rats! I was hanging on to those, too. Oh. <laughs> so pretty cute toy. Uh, so you, now, was that a problem for you? Like, you you obviously spent a lot of time with it. Uh, do you feel there was for you tension between, like, the main storyline and the side quests? Or are you enough of a completionist that you're just happy doing all the side quests? I'm a crazy completionist. I, I cannot leave anything alone without completing it, which actually is, you know, a, a problem in reviewing large RPGs because I tend to get bogged down in the details when, uh, you know, other people might just race to try and get to the ending to see the, the overall plot. Mm-hmm. I, I agree with what you said, though, that, and I mentioned this point in my review, that in a way, the the main storyline is so strong in, in uh, Dragon Age that the side quests almost feel distasteful in that, you know, why in Hades would I waste time robbing this noble um, when the army is marching on us? You know, yeah. it just, it doesn't see, they don't see, they almost break the fiction in the game. And while you can say that about really any RPG, since all RPGs have, you know, numerous side quests, in a game like Oblivion or Fallout 3, the, the main plot isn't as compelling and it, and you don't, have the same sense of personal responsibility for resolving it that you do in Dragon Age. So, nice. in a way, I think that they uh, they could have actually pared back on the on the side quests and 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 focused more on the uh, on the main quest because I, I think I think a lot of people are are going to have a similar experience to you. They're going to ignore them, especially if they get really involved and in, invested in the storyline. Right, right. And they're not very good. <laughs> they tend to be the weaker stuff in the game. Right, yeah. Uh, I like the Oblivion comparison, because Oblivion, I honestly couldn't have cared less about the main storyline. Uh, and this is indeed the sort of the exact inverse of that. Uh, when, uh, now, now you, so you played it on the PC. Uh, I, now that I've finished the game, having played on the 360, I feel, that, and, and I've seen and heard a little bit about the PC version, I really have this sort of ignorance was bliss <laughs> opinion of like I, I saw a YouTube video of how the combat works on the PC. You can move multiple dudes in in one place at the same time. Uh, you yeah. can't you can't do that on the 360. On the 360, you have to manually take control of a dude, walk him over somewhere, and then switch back to the other person you are you are controlling. If I'd known I was missing that, I think I would have been a lot more disgruntled uh, about the combat. Um, yeah, I mean the console version is definitely the GIMP version. It's 
you know, it's fine if you're if you're primarily interested in storyline and you know want to sit back on your couch. But I mean, it's there's nothing in the PC version. There's nothing in the console version that's not in the PC version. Whereas there's significant aspects of the game that are not in the console version. Well, as a, as a tactical, because this, that was where it really hooked me. But as a tactical combat game, uh, it just seems like it it must play out so differently on the PC. Uh, than on the console. It really does feel, and, and this, I, I'm ultimately okay with having played it on the 360, but it, it did feel much more like sort of appealing to action gamers. Like, uh, you know, you want to be down there in it, and it's okay if the other guys are doing their own thing, sometimes they'll die sometime, but the, the priority is that over-the-shoulder, watching-the-animation kind of perspective, rather than pulling back uh, and getting an overview. Because that was another thing, is that I, there were times in battle I was wanting like Morrigan to target a specific enemy. And for the life of me, I could not pick that enemy out. You know, I would try different angles, and I would scooch her around. And I was just like, well, I guess the, the game system, they don't want you to pick out a specific enemy that easily. They want to make it difficult. Uh, but on the PC, that's definitely not the case. You can clearly like see an overhead view of different enemies and, and target them specifically. Uh, yep, nope. No scooching. We're we're allowed on the PC to target who we want. <laughs> uh, so um, you uh, mentioned in your review that you were a little disappointed with the the party size. Uh, you know, you have your main character, and at any given time, you can only bring in three other characters. Uh, I felt I I quite liked. I, I feel a, a tenant of good game design is forcing a player to make tough choices. And that was one of my favorite things about Dragon Age is how distinct the characters were and how I had to choose at any given time three of them. Uh, so I, I really liked that limited party size bit. But that didn't work for you? You would have liked more? No, I, I, I was fine with four, with a four-person party. And, um, I mean, to give some perspective, after after uh, Neverwinter Night where you had one uncontrollable character and... You know, other games where you had three characters. I mean, four is an improvement. It's still not the as many as you had in in say the Baldur's Gate games, where they had which had six. But I agree with what you said that uh, each individual character is so interesting and definitely a big strength of the game. That uh, being forced to choose and 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 having them have their individual conversations with each other. There's so much context specific dialogue in this game. That I, I think it's really rewarding and it encourages replaying. I was fine with uh, with uh, four person party. I, I think one other difference that you didn't note from the PC and the and the console is some of the PC battles are are have a lot of enemies and uh, <laughs> and are very tough accordingly because of uh, because you only have four members and and I think you might have wanted a few more allies if uh, if you had played that version <laughs> as well. Well, now that's you. That's are there fewer enemies in the console version? Because I'm thinking of there. There were some huge battles. You know, there were times where I was fighting twenty dudes. Uh, right. you, you know, so I do you know for a fact that there are fewer enemies on the in the console battles? This is something I find really frustrating. Um, I tried um, in several conversations, including one specific one conversation specifically on this topic to get a clear idea from Bioware what the differences were between the console version and the PC version. Uh, obviously, writing for a PC gaming magazine, it was something of interest to uh, to uh, our readers, especially since this is one instance where the PC version is clearly better. 
And uh, they were very evasive and, and, and vague about those differences. I, I think as you've seen posting on your forum, Porter to three, one of the, one of the, one of the developers who did the, the port it version posted some details and, and did indicate that there were fewer enemies in a few instances, but they might be stronger. And, uh, and, and, and that the console version was generally considerably easier um, for that reason. But, you know, how much they did of that, uh, it's just not clear. I I want you to immediately start playing the PC version so you can provide this in a detailed analysis for us. Well, one of the things that, uh, that's very different is I, so I played on normal difficulty. Uh, Now, is it true that on the PC version, there's friendly fire when you play in normal difficulty? Yes. Because that's huge. That's enormous stuff. And like I, I was using yeah. like Cones of Cold and Morrigan's Death Cloud and whatnot, like with impunity. Uh, I mean, what? That's an enormous difference in terms of how the game plays, is whether or not there's friendly fire, and to have that turned off by default. I, I mean, I hesitate to say things are broken or unbalanced or whatnot because it's a single-player game and you can play it however you want. But it really does deprive the game of a lot of tactical nuance to have friendly fire turned off. Yeah, I didn't even realize that was another difference on the, on the console version. The um, in the PC version, there is friendly fire on normal, but it uh, but it's not quite a hundred percent. So, in other words, if you cast a fireball, your enemies might take thirty hit points of damage, but your your characters, if they were in the range, would only take fifteen. Right. Right. So I think it's like fifty percent damage or or some other smaller amount. So it, it's enough, which I think is a good compromise because it, it's it's enough. That you uh, you know it's meaningful and you and you don't want to impose those penalties on yourself, but you're you're not you can take that chance occasionally, and I think again if you look at some of the other recent games that Bioware has done like the Neverwinter games and Obsidian's Neverwinter Nights too, the default difficulty level on those games allowed for friendly fire in the same way that the console version of Dragon Age does, uh, but those games just like Dragon Age, you can bump the difficulty up and and get you know very rigid rules on friendly fire. Right. But uh, well, here's an, here's another difference between the uh, 360 version and the, and the PC version. When you played on the PC, how many gamer score points did you get added to your Xbox Live profile? Zero. Oh, because... I'm so sorry to hear that. Oh, that's too bad. Oh. I don't really understand. <laughs> I don't really understand that. <laughs> the, uh, the love for the for the game box. I don't even know the name of it. Game box score or whatever the heck. It's it your gamer score. Come on, okay, Stefan. I'm calling you out right now. What's your gamer score? You, you have a 360, right? Yeah, I think the only game on the 360 that I have any notable score was Oblivion, which I completed on the 360. So, are you well, telling me here and now that your gamer score is fewer than a thousand points? I I don't even know what the scale is. That's how important it, that, that key statistic is for me. You know, I, I mean, thought I thought we were bringing you around to being a console gamer. You're you're getting a very slow start. I I think you should start caring about your gamer score. You should you should start taking your gamer score more seriously. Yeah, I, I really want to compete with the twelve uh, year olds who uh, <laughs> play every game every weekend, and <laughs> I, I uh, want to make sure I have the six kills in Call of Duty Four on the elevator. Uh, I should I, I should point out that I, that I I am suitably ashamed of how much I care about my gamer score though. So <laughs> that, that, that's I, do, I, I will say I do like achievements. I think I think they're a nice 
a nice, especially when they're well done by the developers and encourage you to try different things or, or have legitimately difficult goals to achieve. And to and be fair, they're in the PC version, right? There's uh, there's actually even more of them, I believe, in the PC version. Uh, Exactamundo, which right. is what I was going to say, Mr. Caring. <laughs> uh, that there are, uh, I don't know, 86 or something like that achievements in the... Uh, in the, in the PC version. And now tell me how they work. Tell me how they work. So we're playing on the, uh, the, uh, the 360. The 360. Uh, now my uh, voice is coming voice through, is so if you turn the speakers down. So on the 360, when you get a, an achievement, a, a little box pops up, and it says you've won the such and such, such, and such achievement, and you can click and look why you got it. Uh, is it the same kind of thing on the PC version? Yep, exact same thing. So it's it's a very similar mechanic, and equally rewarding, even if it doesn't contribute to your overall gamer score. <laughs> now, uh, so here's another thing is as you're playing and as you make the big macro choices, uh, you are sort of aligning uh, a set of achievements based. It's almost like it's telling you about your character, like your character made this choice in this dilemma, this choice in that dilemma. It's almost like a personality test, maybe. Uh, so I presume there's something very similar. Uh, well, of course, because it's the same achievements. So you get the same thing on the, the PC version. So I want to ask you, and I don't think these are spoilers because you can look at the achievements. Uh, I want to ask you in your main playthrough what choices you made in certain uh, at certain forks in the road. Can I can I throw those at you? Sure. I was okay. uh, an elven rogue. Oh my God! So was I. Dude or a chick? Dude. Okay, I was an elven chick rogue. I feel uh, no need to to role play other sexes. I, it's just you know I, I I don't think of it as role playing. It's like who I'm going to be looking at the whole time, and I you know I don't know. I I feel also. So here's a real quick aside, and I want to get back to your. One of the things I really liked in Dragon Age was that there were very cool female characters and female storylines in Dragon Age that weren't your typical like damsels in distress or. Or even like the you know the the sexy mage like Morrigan was kind of goofy as the like sexy dark mage, uh, but there were really cool storylines about women um, that I I was glad I was glad to see in the game, uh, especially considering how much like video gaming is is an old boys club, and I'm thinking of things like um, uh, this doesn't give anything away, but there's an awesome female paragon named Bronca in the dwarven storyline, right. Uh, I, that that was my favorite vignette in in Dragon Age is what they did with Bronca, uh, and and then I think two of like Andraste the the uh, sort of Jesus character like Jesus is a chick in Dragon Age, right? It's kind of a Joan of Arc figure too in a way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Actually, yeah. Uh, so so uh, because a lot of part of the marketing and I know you and I agree that the marketing was silly. They were playing up like the goofy cheesecake and the sex, and they had that ridiculous Maxim photo spread with the models. Um, but but I think that it doesn't, you know, to Bioware's credit, they had some really cool female characters in there that weren't played just for cheesecake or for damsels in distress. Um, yeah, I'm not a, I'm not offended by the Maxim thing. I mean, is is anything in Maxim ever not offensive? <laughs> that's that's a good point. Well, here's yeah. the thing. So you and I uh, like. That that whole Marilyn Manson, this is the new shit, and all the, the trailers with all the blood and stuff. You didn't care for that, though, right? No, it was awful. It was stupid. I mean, it was uh, it was a very misguided attempt to try and 
appeal to, I guess, the God of War fans or something. And, and here, <laughs> it's almost inexplicable. Well, well, I can explain it though. I don't think it, here's where I think we kind of disagree. I did not mind that stuff at all because I feel like that stuff wasn't for me or you. You know, you and I play this game because we know Bioware. You know, we're, we're already sold. That stuff I saw is EA, like you're saying, trying to trying to get the game, get the, this message out to people that that a fantasy RPG isn't some Zelda frippery stuff. You know that that these games have reached the level of you know Peter Jackson's Lord of the Rings, and that they can be gritty like Conan the Barbarian stuff, and you know even God of War. So I feel like it's that stuff isn't for us. We think it's ridiculous. But it's their it's their attempt to grow the audience, uh, and I don't know if it works. And I don't know, like I don't know if the average God of War player, once he boots this up, if it's going to work for him. Um, but I was kind of glad to see them trying stuff like that, as ham-handed as it was. Yeah, I wasn't glad. <laughs> so we don't agree there. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I mean, I think, I, I mean, if you look at. So the exchange we had on quarter to three, for instance, after I started revealing tidbits of the game when I was playing it, uh, like I think you'll, a, a lot of people had been so turned off by that advertising, you know, people like you know Angie Gallant and and crew, that they had, they had written it off and uh, said, you know, maybe if I if I hear good things otherwise, but this is clearly an immature piece of nonsense that that isn't isn't for me, and so really a large section. Of its of it of its inherent audience was taking suddenly a, a wait and see attitude at best about this game and you know I I think I guess there's there's no way for you or I to to know how much of what you think the target audience was for those ads was influenced by them but right. I'm dubious and I and I think there was very clearly an effect on on the people who I think are its actual Prime audience. But then don't you think those people, though, they're discriminating enough to, based on the strength of the game and reactions from guys like you and me and, and the Angie Gallants and the people who are actually playing it and posting about it, don't you think those people eventually find out, based on the strength of the game, that, you know what, it did turn out for the best and it's safe for me to buy it? Uh, I don't know. You know, this is all hypothetical, but uh, and I certainly get what you're saying, but ultimately, I, I was glad to see them trying to grow the audience. I would love more people than the usual RPG players to try Dragon Age. Uh, and if it takes some really stupid Marilyn Manson video, then I'm okay with that. Uh, I don't know. I, I think Oblivion, uh, you know, Bethesda had showed with Oblivion and Fallout 3 that they could make you know, a PC-style uh, RPG on the console, and it could be a gigantic commercial success without resorting to that kind of nonsense. Right, and, uh, right. That's, actually, sure. you know, that's a fair point as well, yeah. The Bethesda with Fallout and... Uh, oh, the Fallout... But, but yeah, I, that's a very good point. Uh, I, okay. Uh, so, okay. So let's, so, go ahead, go let's ahead. Just mock, uh, let's just mock their ad and, uh, and <laughs> let the... Uh, <laughs> and let the marketing whiz kids go back to the drawing board. Uh, EA is pretty... They they are pretty tenured when it comes to marketing, though. So, yeah. So, so I want to I, I go back then to the specific choices you made. So we were both elven rogues. Uh, now, were you a city elf or a Dalish elf? City elf. Ah, okay. You were one of those. So uh, which quest did you... So you go through, uh, you get to where it's open to basically four different quests you can pick. Which one did you do first? 
You mean after Lothering? Yes. Uh, I think I, I, I did the what I thought was the most natural choice, which was to help the Earl out, because mm-hmm. they kind of direct you in that in that in that way. And and now, what are the two outcomes of that? Uh, without so, doesn't that kind of actually? So the thing is, it's not that neat because you resolve the situation at Redcliffe, and then you go for the Ashes of Andraste, if I'm not mistaken. So isn't there a macro decision at Redcliffe? Yeah, I'm trying to think. I, I mean, I know there's lots of little choices, like how to um, how you deal with the with the demon. Right, right. Uh, and uh, but you're right. You 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 end up having to go to get the ashes. Oh, you know what? I know what it is, Stefan. It's do you side with the cult of Andraste or do you? Oh yeah, that, that's one of the lamest ones in the game. Because <laughs> who would actually side with the cult? I know. <laughs> I, Especially I when you see it. that they're worshiping a dragon. Right. Uh, okay, so let's skip over the Red Cliff thing. Uh, so we resolve that. Uh, I, one of my one of my favorites for how it it just seemed kind of goofy, like almost something you'd see in a JRPG. So the macro decision, which again it's not really a spoiler, you can look at it by just it. it it sort of reveals it when you just look at the achievements, is with the Elven storyline, do you help the Elves or the Werewolves? Uh, who did you choose there? Um, again, I, I thought the more natural one was to help the Elves, especially since I was an Elf. Right. And, <laughs> Same uh, anything I could do to help restore my imminent or- immortality <laughs> uh, was all good as far as I was concerned. Okay, now at the uh, at the Circle of the Magi. Oh gosh, what are the two big choices there now? I'm trying to think. Uh, it's, it's, oh, the so Templars or the Mages? Yeah, that's right. And uh, who did you pick? Who did your uh, Elven Rogue go for there? I I think the more natural one is to help the Mages, but the uh, the I, I thought this was one of the more interesting ones in that um, it it the lore does such a good job at establishing that. Mages are actually pretty dangerous, <laughs> and uh, I I can see and and I and in my second playthrough I actually have taken the opposite approach, and uh, because that one uh, I I found that one one of the more nuanced and interesting choices, but I, I chose the mages. What about you? I also chose the mages. So far, you and I are uh, totally seeing eye to eye. Uh, so, now, uh, what? Um, uh, Okay, so the last one then is, I guess, the Dwarven quest. You can choose Prince Belen or Lord Harrowmont. And and the the they nuance it, but it sort of seems like the difference between uh, lineage and tradition or competence and the king's personal choice. Uh, who did you who did you throw your lot in with there? I, I had played all the origins before I played the game, and I, and if, I think if you play the Dwarven noble origin, it's pretty clear that. You don't want to choose Balin, so so I chose the general. Um, this was one place in the game where I actually discovered a bug um, after I submitted my review uh, in a subsequent playthrough, where if you actually go too far and try and complete both quests as to as far as you can, you can actually reach a dead end where neither one of them will talk to you anymore. Oh, and it just you can't resolve the the deadlock. That's right. 
well, what are you doing trying to play both sides against each other? I guess they are dwarves, so, yeah. <laughs> but this is, again, this is the completest in me. Um, you know, one of the very first quests is to either fight in the arena or to influence some nobles for, for Balin. And so what I did was influence one of the nobles, jumped in the arena, and before the last battle went and influenced the other noble, <laughs> and then jumped back in the and finished the, the arena which turned out to be a bad thing to do because they both thought I was on the other guy's side and were and and therefore wouldn't talk to me anymore. Well, I remember seeing I, I so I was like you is that I wanted to do the Harrowmount stuff. Uh, I started doing the favors for him, and I was a bit surprised to see that it was still an option to go uh, work for Prince Balin as well. Like it didn't lock him out, so I'm glad I didn't try that. Uh, all right, yeah, and then go ahead. Sorry, uh, yeah, I wonder about that. The um because you can definitely reconsider that choice uh, after you've done the first quest and, and become a spy for the other side instead of an ally. Mm. And uh, I think one of the reasons for that is because the Dwarven story is so ambiguous, at least at first, about who's right and who's wrong. And um, as you explore throughout the, the Dwarven city, you might encounter additional NPCs that might influence that choice and make you want to change your, uh, you know, the, your initial decision. And so I think they, they allowed you to go back on that choice simply because you, you might be disappointed with your initial choice. Right, right. And, and then finally, uh, did you use or destroy the Anvil of the Void? Used it. And you then, and I, yeah, yeah, you and I did this, the exact, made the exact same choices uh, on the, the macro level on our playthrough. Yep. I, I think... Not using the anvil is obviously the goody-goody choice, but uh, I rationalized <laughs> that decision on the grounds that I didn't think there'd be a shortage of people who would actually volunteer. And uh, having played the, the Mage's Circle first and seeing how cool golems were, <laughs> we, needed a few, we needed a few of those guys on our side. Uh, I, I rationalized it because I, w I wanted to play a racist elf. Uh, so I, I was early on, you know, like uh, happy to kill humans and do bad things to humans and especially dwarves. So I was like, you know what? If it if the dwarves have to sacrifice themselves to give me this sort of weapon of mass destruction, that's fine. I'm a racist elf. I don't care. Uh, <laughs> so in the most general terms, because I don't want to spoil this, uh, a, a lot of. Uh, RPG, actually a lot of video games fall apart at the end. Uh, so I don't want to say anything about what happens, but I do want to hear from you. How do you feel about the ending of, of Dragon Age? Uh, you make all these choices. Uh, they're obviously going to have some impact. Do you feel the payoff was gratifying? Uh, and did, did you feel that it held up through the end of the game? And again, uh, very general terms. So at this point, like, like be very careful about spoilers. Yeah, no, I agree. I don't want to say anything either. Um, I, I I think it would be interesting to know all the endings because there are multiple endings, and and I don't know them all, and um, and I suspect some might be more gratifying. I, I think I was a bit disappointed by by the ending, but not really, not compared to other RPGs. Um, it, I think in part I literally played like thirty hours in the last three days to uh, blast through the final of the game. So I, in order to be, have, be finished before, I had to submit the review. 
And so I was a bit, uh, at that point, anything would have seemed anticlimactic, I think. I was, <laughs> so uh, I was so, so pressing forward. But I don't think that was a really natural playthrough experience. I, I think it did a good job. I, I think it, it, it pulled things together. I, I think I, I think the, the fact that it wasn't a simple story in that, although there was an overwhelming threat, there were other threats and other uh, other things. I'm trying. I'm trying to choose my words carefully, but also sound <laughs> eloquent, which is basically impossible. Um, anyway, I, I, so I, I liked resolving the lesser threat in a, in a way more than the greater threat. Mm-hmm. Well, and it's sort of does tough. Is it does it does, and and I think it's tough after having this this sort of ambitious wide set of choices and the choices are all very sort of real politic. You know, it's not the simple, you kick the puppy or feed the puppy. It's tough that when the game all has to come to a point and you know, this isn't a spoiler, but you know, there's going to be some boss fight. Uh, I mean, I think they did as good a job as they could without completely subverting the genre somehow. Uh, so, for me, any disappointment I have, I think, is just a factor of how video games and RPGs play. Uh, by working within the confines of what they were doing, I thought they did as, as well as could be expected. And I really enjoyed the payoff for the choices I made during the game. I enjoyed seeing how they expressed that at the end of the game. And I, again, I, I don't want to say anything because it was a cool surprise. Uh, and, and that's that's actually Stefan. So that that was part of what was driving the game for me. Is it okay? I know that I'm marshalling people to fight this big threat, and I'm making choices as I do it. How are these choices going to be uh, manifested at the end of the game? And I and I liked what they did. Uh, I, yep. So so for for me, thumbs up for for the ending. Just understanding that it's within the conventions of the genre. Uh, yep. So I, that, that that's a very good. Um, explanation and, and and I agree with that entirely. It's certainly not a disappointing ending like Fallout Three, for instance. Oh God, and, you know what? Yeah, yeah. As a point of reference, exactly, exactly. Sorry to interrupt you, but yeah, exactly. And uh, and it was interesting to, for it to tie things together. That was something that I think other RPG developers like Troika back in the day and Black Isle did better than Bioware. But by where it's always been pretty strong on endings, actually. So I, I think they actually may make, be the strongest RPG developers mm-hmm. for making for story-driven experiences and, and particularly the endings. Now, uh, do you have a? So I mentioned before one of my favorite vignettes was uh, was about Bronca, the Dwarven Paragon, and and it had this great sort of. Uh, it was almost like this. It was like uh, Heart of Darkness uh, meets Dwarves, kind of like there was this. Uh, I, I loved the Bronca vignette. Uh, it was like Heart of Darkness meets Silent Hill meets Dwarves. Like, that's how I would describe it. Uh, did you have, in your playthrough, like, do you have a favorite vignette? Uh, like, a sort of a favorite image or storyline uh, for you? I, I like the Fade stuff oh, yeah, yeah. In, the, in the Circle of Mages. I, I think it could, I mean, it was a bit puzzly, and if you don't like that type of gameplay, it, it could be frustrating if you're not patient. But I think it was it was pretty rewarding, especially if you'd if you'd also done the uh, major origin, and um, yeah, it, it was just creative. I I really like the way mages are handled in this game. Uh, I really like the background lore. I think Bioware's done a great job at establishing a world that I want to know more about it. 
Yeah. And uh, and that was, I, I thought that was one of the better sequences in any RPG I've played. The the fade was great also for the the sort of character reveals you get based on like I think you have to bring Win in with you, but then you choose two other people, uh, and there I really liked the resolution for again I don't want to spoil it too much, but who you bring in tells you a lot, gives you a really cool scene with each of those two characters. Uh, do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, and and, and I, uh, I liked that a lot. That was a good payoff for the fade. Yeah, I mean that's that's actually one incentive to save that section of the game until until later, because you'll have different companions and you'll want to see what 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 those other companion companions that you can't pick up until subsequently um, would have to say. I, I wish I one 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 companion that I think we can reveal because it's been in all the all the coverage is a dog, and uh, I never actually saw what the dog. I didn't. You know what? I never even brought the dog with me. I don't. I don't. Uh, I don't like dogs. Yeah. <laughs> it, it does. Seem, it does seem to be kind of a goofy trend how every RPG has a dog these days. Followed three Fable, um, and uh, but the dog is is pretty fun in this in this game. I, I think a lot of people leave the dog behind after uh, they get going because they perceive the dog to not be very powerful compared to some of the other companions and. Obviously, to be less articulate than, uh, <laughs> than others, but uh, in my in, in my subsequent playthroughs, I'm, I'm using the dog a lot more frequently, and he's actually quite good in combat because he's great for taking out archers, for instance, because of his speed or mages. And um, any human-sized opponent just is basically stomped by his overbearing ability. Oh, oh, yeah. So he's sort of like a cavalry shock troop uh, character. Yeah, exactly. That's uh, a good and, and what's sort of uh, like I, I, they obviously have like like there are the conversations, the dynamic conversations between two of your party members as you're playing. They have little scenarios like that with the dog. That's right. Oh. Oh, do they? Or are you asking me if they do? Oh, I'm asking you if they do. Like, because I never brought the dog along. I, I seriously, I got the dog, and I was like, okay, fine. I don't, I don't want a dog coming with me. You stay in camp. Uh, but yeah. if you bring the dog along, are there little one-on-one interactions between the dog and your other characters? Absolutely, and they're, yeah. uh, you know, they're they're amusing. Um, I'll, I'll give one away. The, um, you know, he'll the dog will steal some of Morgan's um, herbs, and. <laughs> And they'll have a banter about that, and she'll end up giving him more. You know, <laughs> which is interesting because Morgan is not particularly friendly to any other companion in the game, and yet she, even she's won over by the hound. I I will say that that is uh, I just characterization in video games is so often like a, a, a video game can do like an, a good epic story or whatever, but but it's so hard to find that kind of good solid characterization, you know, independent of their stats or their class or whatever. I I really liked how well-written these characters were, and above and beyond that, how well-written their interactions were. That That is just something so rare and so precious to me in a video game. I was so glad to see how well that did. And you mentioned, you know, you call back to Baldur's Gate, which also did that. Uh, so I, it just really, I just really appreciated what a great job they did with those. Um, yeah, and and Baldur's Gate did have that, and Baldur's Gate 2 had even more of it, but it, but in Dragon Age, it's 
it's considerably evolved and uh it's not repetitive the 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 dialogue is it, it's just incredible how much of it it is that there is and it, and it's interesting enough that you you often stop to listen to it so that you don't uh, interrupt it by advancing forward. I found, at least I did. Yep, uh, exactly, exactly. <laughs> well, one thing about the dog, uh, I'm not going to reveal it, but you have to take the dog to the city because the, the dog has a, a pretty amusing uh, adventure there. Take the dog in the Denerim? Yep. <laughs> There's like a dog quest in Denerim? <laughs> it's not a quest. It's just something the dog does that... Uh, Probably give me gave me my biggest laugh in the entire game. Okay, good tip. Good to know. Uh, okay, so what are you playing nowadays besides Dragon Age? You burned out on on uh, gaming. Are you still dealing with Dragon Age? I'm still playing Dragon Age. I, I'm I'm this kind of methodical fellow, and uh, I'll probably stick with Dragon Age for at least another month. Um, I'm actually playing it with my wife now as well. We, we were playing it a bit during the review and I was I was playing the game because the PC version as I said is, is quite difficult and she's probably not up to the tactical combat kind of stuff but the the actual she's actually making all of the choices so uh, and like yourself and I think like a lot of people she completely is ignoring the side quest because why would she <laughs> waste time doing that and uh, but is totally into the role playing aspect of it and uh, it's actually really fun to see the the choices she's made as opposed to me. She of course has kept the dog with her entirely. <laughs> now when uh what kind of character did she choose? Uh, <laughs> I inflicted uh a dwarven uh, peasant on her. <laughs> 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 Which isn't for any uh <laughs> it isn't a, a metaphor or anything. <laughs> <laughs> Totally, uh, because it was one of the few origins I hadn't done at that point in time when we started the game. <laughs> nice. Uh, well, Stevan, thank you so much for uh, for talking to us today. This is actually the inaugural uh, quarter to three podcast, so you, you've uh, you, you've made it a tough act for other people to follow. I hope you're happy. I am, and I look forward to uh, hearing the rest of them. I think it's a it's a great idea of yours. So to tease next week, we have Eric, uh, and I'm going to screw up his last name, Majkut, Majkut, uh, Eric, sorry about this. I don't know how to pronounce your last name. We have Eric coming on to talk about Forza 3. Do you do racing games, Stefan? Never. See, now that you've got, now that you've got a console system, there's some awesome things for the, for the 360, uh, driving. I think I, I think I played Burnout 2 on your GameCube in 2000. Oh my god. <laughs> wow. The last racing game I played. All right, well, thank you so much, Stefan, and uh, we will see everyone here next week. Bye-bye.